0: All right. Um, well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. We um, we've got some fun stuff to look at and talk about today. And uh, you guys got to hear the kids um, singing and and leading us to sing as well. Um, the first service they didn't get to do that, so instead we had a moment um, where we had tried to time it and uh, and and to have the kids all come marching in the side of the room and. And around the whole room, and, uh, which, which went great, except that you don't, you don't measure how long it's going to take to get 200 and something kids through the room, uh, but it, it certainly served its point as everyone was out there looking like their eyes getting bigger and bigger as kids just kept kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. This is a, this is a real thing here, um, and uh, so it, it's, it's really amazing to get to be involved um, in a church where clearly part of what God has assigned us with. Part of what he has tasked us with is raising up a new generation of Christian leaders and ministers in the kingdom. However, we are not going to be talking about the book of John this morning. Um, There are other books in the Bible you may have forgotten. Um, That's right, not the book of John today. Um, We're going to be looking in the the gospel according to Luke, instead of the gospel according to John. And and so that should be a a little bit of a refresher for you um, to read some of these others as well. And I think. Um, to start off, we're going we're gonna to talk a little about the, the Vacation Bible School Week. And Aaron, are you, there you are. How can I not spot you with that bow tie, man? By the way, I referenced the bow tie the first service, but I did not reference that it is a Flintstones bow tie, which you can't see unless you're up close. So, um, so I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask um, Aaron some really hard, charging, tough uh, questions in an interview here. And the first one, which everyone is wondering about, is, um, is why there's only one A in Aaron. Yeah, that's what's really been bugging everybody so yeah. far. So that's <laughs> only okay, uh, one A and Aaron there.
1: Um, I'm Armenian, and so my family um, in Armenian they spell Aaron with one A. It's not pronounced Aaron, but we'll go with it.
0: Okay, how's it pronounced? Oh no! <laughs> I knew that was gonna be the question. No, yeah, don't. It's Aron. Aron. Yeah. Okay.
1: But call own. me Aaron, please.
0: Never again. <laughs> um, Okay, so our focus specifically welcoming and welcoming kids um, this weekend uh, is kind of the, the, kind of the focus, the emphasis. So how did we welcome kids this weekend?
1: Um, we did it in a variety of ways, um, but one of the main things that we do that's, I think, different than uh, most vacation Bible schools is many times children, when they come into a place, um, a church or a vacation Bible school setting, all they see is women helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were really intentional about getting godly men to, to be in classrooms, in groups um, with the kids to help welcome them so that they could see um, godly men serving the kingdom. Um, and that's one way that we are trying to be real intentional with how we welcome kids. That's
0: really cool. That's a, um, uh, as you all know, one of our real strong emphasis here is that, is that we want kids to learn from family. Um, the church does not replace the family in regards to spiritual teaching and training and development. And so we want to come alongside. That's one of the reasons that we hired Aaron when we did. Um, and realizing he was such a great choice um, for this. He literally, I did not know that till just now. So this, is, this has changed everything now forever. Um, um, uh, so, uh, but that's a, that is a, a big deal and a big part of, of our, how we do things. So that we're going to talk more about that building up. Um, as we go through this, but so that being said, what are some of the things families are, should be walking away with from this weekend of okay. Vacation Bible School? Okay. Um, so we put together
1: a packet for our families. Um, about how you can continue the conversation um, from Vacation Bible School with your kids. Um, and if you dropped off your kids this morning, you should have got a packet that said um, Parent VBS Sunday School or Sunday Packet. Um, and inside of it had a, should have had a fresh gift card. If you missed out on that, uh, make sure you go back for it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it should have had a fresh gift card. It should have had a um, letter to you guys talking about what your kids learned at VBS, um, and then it has two different um, play calls in there that you can set up a time with your kids to talk about and continue the conversation and lead the conversation Very about cool. Vacation Bible School.
0: That's cool. Um, so make sure parents and grandparents get your hands on those if you don't have them. And um, that's, that's a big part of why our kids come back from children's ministry um, activities every Sunday morning, typically with things in their hands. It's part of why you get a, um, a newsletter every week about what the kids are going to be learning, so that you can you can be engaged in that conversation. Again, um, the church does not replace the parents. Um, it's it's you have to lead in regards to that, and we want to come alongside however possible. So, what was a highlight for you this weekend? What was a highlight moment for you? Um, I think I think I shared the first service
1: that there was a child that was three years old um, that was having a hard time transitioning. He was in a new place, new group. Um, yeah, most of the teachers in here are going. It's like, what? What on mine? Yeah, um, but but he took off running and he was having a hard time. And I just caught up with him, um, and he turned around and I and I picked him up and he struggled a little bit, um, and then he just embraced me and he was like, "I miss mommy," you know. And I was, and so I just sat there with him and I said, "I know, I know." And um, we we went back to class, but from that moment on, that child um, developed a relationship with me where they stuck to me. They were, they were, they saw me as a safe person. Um, and so it was, it was really cool, um, to see that relationship
0: develop. That's neat. Um, did they, did they give you a, a, a donut coffee mug? No, they didn't do that. I got a donut coffee mug this morning. Colin Cullen, Cullen, you gave me, where's Cullen? That's, Cullen you gave me? Yeah, that's a, how about that? That's pretty sweet. Yeah. thank you. Get it. Just, I snuck that in. Do you see how I did that? Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, lots of kids, lots of opportunities. Obviously, here we talk about that all the time. Um, what uh, What's the what's the, call? what's the What's your vision for that? What do you see with this? I guess I should say this. Aaron is our children's minister uh, here now. So, just to clarify for those of you who missed that announcement sometime in the last few weeks, but um, he um, he works he works under Rebecca. Yeah. Um, which has got to be a challenge, right? I mean, how. <laughs> Anyway, so go for it.
1: Um, I, think, I think for me, um, just knowing that there is a call in all of our lives to um, pour into and invest into the next generation, um, I think we all have a role to play in children's lives, um, whether it be in our own home as the primary face shaper, as the parent, or whether it be um, in the church setting as a shepherd or someone that is um, investing highly into children. You're yeah. talking about... Um, not using the word volunteer this morning. Right. Um, and and really, I, I kind of see our workers as shepherds. Um, we don't do child care. We don't um, babysit. We want to be intentionally investing and in pointing children towards Christ.
0: Amen. And Excellent. I think we all have a role in that. Good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All righty. Thank you. Yeah. Um. So, uh, one of the things that Aaron was, uh, it's, it's perfect because we were calling him a a <laughs> which you couldn't really do because he doesn't have the two A's, and so now this is even better. So, um, uh, but um, with this morning in the, in the first service, one of the things I, I, I was sharing in the midst of that was, um, I'm, I'm, I realized over the last couple of weeks I've become uncomfortable with the thought of us talking about volunteering here. Um, for those who are members, to volunteer here doesn't really make a lot of sense. That's like me babysitting my own kids. Um, that if someone says, oh, Ginger's out of town, I guess you're going to be babysitting the kids. and uh, that Guys do hear that, by the way. We do hear that. And I'm like, I don't, I mean, you must have a weird definition for babysitting. I'm not babysitting my kids. They're my kids. Like, does that count? Is that babysitting? Well, in the same way, I think our attitude, for those of us um, who are members of the church, to have the attitude, we're not volunteering here. It's our church. Um, it's, you're not vol- be like volunteering in your own home. You don't volunteer in your own home. This is our church. And so we don't volunteer here. Um, as as even, even the thought of volunteering in our community feels a little silly to me, to be honest. Um, uh, that, but, but, I mean, that makes more sense than a place that's supposed to be so similar to like a home like church is supposed to be. So um, that, that's important, and I think we are called very much so. And clearly God has given us the opportunity um, to help raise up a new generation of Christian leaders and ministers that we that we pray for them, that we train them, that we engage with them, that we disciple them. And, um, and we're not in any way, I will tell you, I, I don't, in any way, nothing that we talked about minimizes the role of women in training up the kids. That was, that's not the point of that. It is that if, if you're like me and you grew up in, in a church that even had vacation Bible school, part of why we do it on the weekend is so more men can be engaged because we don't want to accidentally create the impression for children, as is very often and may have been true in the church you grew up in, that church is for women, um, and that's 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 a mistake. That's a, that's that's a wrong way to teach. And so um, that that's just to have that mindset. And many churches, by the way, many churches and many whole denominations um, in mainstream Christianity, mainline Christianity, are they're collapsing. Um, everything is falling apart. Only very few churches in America are still growing and even maintaining percentages and. And so that, that, that's a, the, the part of the problem is we saw 20 years ago, the first hints of this problem was when you started having 10%, 20%, 30%, 40% gaps between how many men and how many women were in churches. Um, and so it, it, was, it was such that for a while, um, there were some speakers who actually would say, um, if, if your average attendance on Sunday morning is equal men and women, I'll come speak for free. Versus their large fees, that kind of stuff. And, um, and very few churches could even invite them to do that because it was so rare. And so I, I really love when our kids, of course, it is vital that the, that the women of our church, the godly women of our church, lead and engage and serve. And it is also vital that the men of our church do that. Um, and, and as you know, there's something extra significant, I feel like, in the mind of a child when they see a dad up here doing hand signs. Like that says something a little differently. It's like we, we get that moms do that kind of thing. They're willing to look foolish for the cause of Christ or to serve us. But, but dads have a hard time with that. And so kids, when they see us sacrificing what they know is hard for us to sacrifice, that's when they know this is real. And so I really want to encourage you. And, and on that line, um, this passage, so obviously what we teach through year after year when we talk about ministry with kids is Deuteronomy 6. We'll do that again soon. But when we're talking about our vision for being a church that ministers and trains and raises up a generation of kids, the passage we've looked at for the last couple of years is Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I suspect... That most or all of us, by nature of the fact that we are here, we saw a light shine at some point. And just according to the odds, usually that is someone when we are children, we see an adult whose light shines. It is a teacher, it's a coach, it's a parent hopefully, um, it's a Sunday school teacher, it's whatever. That it, is, it is someone who we look at and they shine out and we are drawn to that light. Um, And that's an important thing that we do. That's why we do it the way we do it. It's why we work with our children. Because they're our children who we shepherd. um, And that's what we want to be doing. So uh, I would strongly encourage you, if you're you're still not involved, um, if you're a member, if you're still not involved in some way in ministering and raising up and training children as well, I would love to challenge you to do that. Um, That also became our theme for the elementary school building that we're building right up this hill and so, though we'll talk about this in a few weeks at some point, just as a reminder, if you've gotten already, if you've been one of the, I don't know, 300-something families who have um, invested in that opportunity as well to create a welcome place for our elementary school kids. I mean, many of you showed up this morning, and you're dropping off an elementary school kid in a room that's got 20 other kids in the room. And you're going like, wow, there's, that's kind of a lot of kids to leave my kid in the room with these, these two adults or three adults or whatever well, that's part of what we're trying to accomplish is to, is to create a facility designed for them. And so um, we'd love for you to be, if you're not part of that, we'd love for you to be a part of investing in that as well. Um, but the, the main thing that we need to be investing is us and the ministry that we bring to them. This is us. We are the city on a hill. And many of you, whatever it was, and you know what it was, I mean, I remember distinctly one of the first times was, was, for me at least, it was when my dad handed me his tithe check and said, hey, put this in the offering plate. I've got a meeting, and I'm not going to be there this morning. And, um, and I knew that what my dad gave money to, he meant. I knew he wasn't playing around when he gave money to stuff. I grew up in a pretty tight family. We'd, you'd go get a candy bar, and we'd all split it on a trip. Um, we never stopped at 80 McDonald's and things like that on a trip. We stopped at the roadside parks and Ate cheese that had gotten wet in the cooler. You know what I'm talking about. You've been there, right? And so, uh, that that was. And so when I saw when I saw multiple zeros at the end of a check that my dad had written to the church, I knew, oh wow, he he means this. That was a light for me to see. Okay, this 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 man doesn't just give money to stuff. Um, This must really matter to him. And so, those type of little moments that our kids can see. This matters. This really is real. We really live this out. We really change and we grow and we seek forgiveness and we are humbled as we're going to talk about today. The narrative up till this point in Luke 18 um, is that there's Jesus has just told a parable about a, a Pharisee who's very, very proud of himself. He is, he's praying, but really his prayer is more of a righteousness report to God. It's like he's shown up and he's giving his report. Oh, you know, God, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I do this good thing and that good thing. I'm so glad that I do this good thing and that good thing. Unlike this loser over here, tax collector, who probably doesn't do all these good things. I'm so glad that I do. And that really is the form of the prayer. It's more like a righteousness report on his behalf. I'm talking about himself to God. Which, which clearly is being presented as this is not the way it's supposed to work um, by Jesus. There's something very broken about this. Immediately as Jesus is doing this, and you can imagine as Jesus is teaching, he always has hordes of people gathering. And one of the disciples' jobs was to keep people from badgering him, keep people from constantly being all over him. And so what happens in the account is as Jesus is telling these stories and his teaching, we get to Luke 18. Now, they, meaning the crowds, were bringing even their infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them, meaning the parents bringing these kids. So here you have, you have Jesus there, he's teaching, and these parents keep showing up with kids. And by the way, Matthew and Mark say children, but Luke talks about infants, little babies, babies that couldn't walk. And so they bring bring in these babies for Jesus to lay hands on them. I, I think this is... Um, I think this is meant to be referencing Jesus giving a blessing, a Jewish father's blessing. Laying hands on them and blessing them like was done all through the Old Testament, like we see as part of the Jewish tradition to lay hands on them. And and so Jesus is getting bugged by all these parents and and the disciples are like, y'all cut that out, you're bugging him. And Jesus corrects them. Jesus called to them saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them for to such belong the kingdom of God. Now, I'm going, to, I'm going to take a second in reference. We I think we sometimes get carried away in our adult thinking um, sometimes with the whole idea of salvation. And Jesus, I think, is correcting us with some of this. I think it's totally appropriate that we wrestle with some of this, that we wrestle with when a very young child wants to put their faith in Christ, that we wrestle with what do they get and what do they not get. I think it's okay that we wrestle, that we ask questions, that we talk. However, I think if we're not careful, we turn this into some kind of Gnosticism, anti-Christian religion. Where our salvation is based on what we know, and that's not right. Our knowledge isn't what saves us. Jesus Christ is who saves us. And our family, um, though my story follows a very traditional evangelical route. At about age eleven, I walked a an Nile, um, and at, at the at the um, request of a speaker and at the prompting of the Holy Spirit, I walked a Nile. Very little memory of it. And then at fourteen, like many many of us do, somewhere in the late in the mid teens, I realized. What I had done, and began to understand it at a different level, and really wanted to claim that as my own, and that's a whole other whole other conversation. But that's really common. Um, Ginger's story, my wife's story, is really interesting. She was three when she first prayed the prayer to ask Jesus into her heart, or to become a Christian, or whatever language you want to use. And I, I think sometimes um, we get caught up too much in trying to find the perfect magic words or avoid the wrong magic. I think this is total distraction. Um that, that's something that Christians can fight about internally rather than actually talk to people about Jesus sometimes. But um I think this is a um that whatever that terminology is, it's not our magic words. It it is the relationship with Jesus Christ that changes, the relationship with God changed by him. And so um she was at three led to pray that prayer, by the way, by her five-year-old brother, um, who's still a missionary. Um he this this was and she she remembers it. I mean, remembers what she was wearing, she remembers the moment well. Um, Our three eldest kids also, all of them at three, had a a conversion experience, and they they remember it more or less, Um, but, but it has clearly been the pattern of their life to follow Christ from that point forward, at least up till now. And so there's no reason to question that. I was actually teaching when one of them... Um, Put their faith in Christ at age three. I was teaching at that time a a seminary class, not seminary, seminary level class, a theology class about soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. So we were going to talk, I was going to be teaching for 20 hours on the doctrine of salvation. Um, And so the question I asked during that class, near the end, kind of our pop quiz at the end, was My three year old who has called upon the name of the Lord. You adults who have just gone through 20 hours of theology training on salvation, the doctrine of salvation, soteriology, are you more saved than him? As a three-year-old whose doctrine of salvation is so bad that the next day after asking Jesus into his heart, went to the doctor and the doctor put a stethoscope on him and he said, what's that for? And the doctor said, to listen to your heart. And he said, do you hear Jesus in there? Which is adorable, but not doctrinally real great. Let me just be honest with you, okay? And so that that idea of, does does it make him? No, that's not how this works. It is not our knowledge that saves us. It's good for us to have knowledge. You know I believe that. We love the Lord to God with all our mind. I'm not not making any proclamation toward ignorant faith. That's unbiblical. But to understand that calling upon the name of the Lord is what saves us. And we're going to see that lived out here. So Jesus, why why, should, why, would he, why shouldn't they forbid it? Is it just because Jesus liked kids? I, I think he does, but I don't think that's what this is about. Um, Jesus had lots of younger brothers and sisters, so he would have understood little kids had gotten that. I think that's awesome. But I don't think this is just because Jesus preferences children just because he likes kids. Um, he knows kids too well to think that way. He says, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Don't keep little kids from coming to me because... The kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. It's not even just as one of the commentaries focused all of their attention on the idea that children belong to the kingdom of heaven. Well, that, that's a total other conversation whether that's true or not, but that's not what this says. This is talking about for to such belong. The kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Now, it's not that Jesus is clearly not saying the kingdom of heaven belongs to children. He's saying such as children. So what is that? In fact, he, he goes on to say this, truly I say to you, Luke 18, 17, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. So there's something about children that we have to model, that we have to mimic, that we have to make true in us as we accept the kingdom of heaven, as we accept coming into the kingdom of heaven. And so what is that? What is that trait or what are those traits that we need to be looking at? And we've got to be careful that we don't make some mistakes. Um, Let's look in the Psalms, for example. In Psalm 131, 1 and 2, the psalmist writes, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. In this this really beautiful psalm, the psalmist is saying, I'm... I'm like a child with you, in that my eyes aren't lifted too high. My mind is not focused too high. In other words, I'm not being too proud here. I'm, I'm like a child. instead. I'm at peace without all of this. We have to be careful — this. There's a, here's a, we have to be careful not to apply some virtue to children that makes them more presentable to God. That would not be what Jesus, I think, is talking about. There's just some character trait that little children, that infants have that we need to have. Um, it's not, they, they really aren't character-based people at that point. They're little instinct balls. They're, they're, not really, they're not really thinking through. They're not really making moral decisions and that kind of stuff. Especially at the infant level, that's not how they're making decisions. And by the way, if they are, that's even worse. If children are making moral decisions, they're not very much... They're not very good examples of moral decision making. Um, They're pretty selfish. Um, They're pretty egocentric. They're pretty demanding. They're pretty—they're just not very likable people a lot of times when they're at that age, right? If you've ever worked with kids, one of the commentaries that I read wrote this, um, referenced this passage and said, "As a little child, we need—we need to follow Christ as a little child." Quoting, "As a little child, without prejudice, pride, ambition, and vanity." With meekness and humility. Huh? But I mean, you think this guy ever met a kid? I don't think they'd ever met a child, much less a baby. Uh, th- does, that, does that describe that without prejudice or pride? So they don't have prejudgments about situations? They're not they don't have any pride about that. No ambition? Mine! I mean, that's their favorite word. Except for no, well, that's their other favorite, right? They are rebellious. And they're and they're prideful and no no I've I, I've got it. I don't need your help I can pour the gallon of milk by myself, right? They are hundred percent certain of their own competence about everything. Their track record is that they've never done anything without breaking or spilling it. But boy, are they certain this time? They've got it. That that is pride and arrogance. Vanity. I was like, has this guy ever met a kid? I was a priest. This was this was even better. A priest had written an article that I read. Um, uh, and so he described, he said, it has to do with how children engage with the world with wonder. Here was his example. Some of you, I'm going to have a hard time making it through this. Some of you will appreciate this. Here's, how, here's what he used. He literally, I'm not kidding, used the example of when you go to the grocery store, parents move through the grocery store with their checklist, checking off everything as quickly as they can, moving from eye to item. Whereas children embrace the experience. They like smelling the smells and and touching the things and the... And I'm like, you know this guy's a priest because he thinks going to the grocery store with a child is a positive, poetic experience. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I, I just I this image of him sitting somewhere, sipping coffee, watching children in the grocery store, going, look at how they engage with everything with wonder. <laughs> like, yeah, well, take, take your own kids sometime to the... Is that your experience? Listen, if you've got kids, if you've got little kids, going to the grocery store without kids becomes a date. <laughs> right? Just just it's like date night when you get to go to the store without kids, because kids make that experience so horrific. <laughs> this is if we have to be careful that we don't assign some like, oh, children are so and they are, they're they're so awesome. They are in so many ways so awesome, and we love them, and they're beautiful, and 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 God makes them that way, I think, makes them cute and small for a reason. We can but this is a there's but here's the question so as we dig into it let me let me show you so kids get certain things but here's the thing i think sometimes and i think this is what jesus is talking about is there are things that are true about children not by their choice that we as adults have to learn to choose that's what i think jesus is talking about let me show you what i mean um Uh, The instinct at a child, what is instinct for a child or imposed upon a child can be a virtue in an adult. Uh, Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At that time, so the sister passes this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does he mean, turn there, repent? They're talking about greatness, and he says, you need to repent of this desire for greatness instead of become like a child. But verse 4 answers the question, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Don't have the impression that this child was somehow morally humble. That's probably not the case. The child was humble because it was a child. It is humble, it is powerless, it is dependent. It can't take care of itself. And I think what Jesus is saying here, and we're going to look more at this as we move forward, is that this child has a lowly position. And as adults, we need to accept a lowly position, a dependent position, a vulnerable position with God. That's what gives us the right standing with God. Is that we come to him not making demands, Children make demands morally all the time. They just have no authority, no power, no whatever. And so their demands aren't always heeded. Versus we have these demands. I trust in this or I trust in that. We're going to keep looking at this. In fact, let's look at another example. These are the two passages our kids looked at this weekend. And this one is just a few chapters down in Luke 23. Here you have another person who has had a, a humble situation imposed upon them. Now, they've earned it. But this is a humbling situation imposed upon them, a dependent situation, a desperate situation imposed upon them. Jesus is being crucified, and on either side of him, a thief is being crucified. Thief's probably too easy a word. We'll get to that. But, but there's, there's two men being crucified on each side of him. One of them, it says in verse 29, one of the criminals who was hanging there railed at him, mocked him, bullied him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now keep in mind, this man is hanging on a cross. He is being killed by the very people who he is mocking Jesus with. The Romans are crucifying him, but he's joining in with the Romans to mock Jesus. This is a great example of like in school where you've got a kid who's been bullied for years. And a new kid comes to school who's even smaller than he is. And so he immediately joins in with the bullies, bullying the new kid. Like these, these are your enemies. You have, they, have, they have treated you horribly all this time, and now you're just joining right in. That's how desperate we as humans are for approval of other humans. This is, so, this is such a human thing to do, to turn on the very people who could help us with the people who have been hurting us. It's, it's shocking how often we see this. This is such a human thing to do. Um, it is pathetic, but... We all can recognize that tendency within ourselves, too. We talked about last week the desperate heart being the birth pang of faith. That desperation is often what first it turns us starts turning us towards Christ. But it seems, and this is my experience as well, that some people are just too good at denying their own desperation. They're just too good at it. They rely on their intellect or their superiority or their wealth or their politics or or their delusional desire for the approval of the crowd or their addictions or whatever. And the main purpose of all of these is to help them avoid the recognition of the truth of their own desperation. Human beings can be so good at this that we can be nailed to a cross in the midst of suffocating, drowning on our own body fluids, and we're still committed to the fact that we're the predator. We're still committed to the fact that we've got it all taken care of. No, no, I've got this handled. That's, it's, it is fascinating to me that we can be like that. But we are. Others are able to come to the truth. For some, it takes it's the final moment. We know from the other gospels that the other thief, he mocks Jesus at first too. But at some point during those hours hanging on a cross, slowly dying a torturous death, somehow he finally <laughs> begins to become a little introspective. And finally, it starts dawning on him, he may need some help. This is the, this is the shock of the, the beautiful shock of Alcoholics Anonymous that I've always loved in their materials. Is the statement of that the, one of the first steps is recognizing you're not in control of your own life. What a, what a brilliant, obvious statement for any of us. Um, we, we have to be so delusional in order to believe even for a second that we choose the next second, and the next second, and the next... Like, they, they by worrying about something, we're somehow going to add time to our life. That's what Jesus talks about. Like, yeah, good luck with that. We, that's, there's so little that we can call our own. Um, they, they, they focus on the attitude of Jesus. Maybe that's what caused the thief to change his mind. Maybe the way Jesus is dealing with people, or maybe his own condition, whatever it is, he realizes his desperation, 2340. But the other rebuked him, saying, you don't fear God, the other thief... Since you're under the same sin as a condemnation, we indeed justly, we're receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man's done nothing wrong. He confesses his own guilt. When we confess our own guilt, that is reformation. That's an important part of us understanding this. According to church legend, by the way, this man wasn't just a thief. He was a highwayman, meaning a pirate who attacked people on the roads rather than on the seas. He was a cutthroat and a thief and a murderer. And probably the other thief was a cohort of his. They probably knew each other and worked together. According to some of the real kind of deep church legend, he had actually met Jesus before when Jesus was an infant, when he had tried to, um, to rob Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus at one point. Now, that's, that's legend. There's no reason to think that's necessarily accurate, but it's an intriguing thought. He says, he then turns to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a beautiful picture. But understand, this, every, everything that we do to try to make salvation about us is mocked by this experience of this thief. That we think we're somehow going to earn this, that we're going to work for this. You realize how few people we know, even in the Bible, are, that we know for sure what happens when they face judgment? Think about how few people we actually know that about. We make assumptions, but we really don't know. We don't know what their situation is going to be when they face judgment. This is one of the few people in the entire Bible that we know for sure what the end of their judgment is going to be, what Jesus is going to say to them at judgment. You're with me. Join me, is what Jesus is going to tell this guy. And yet he's done nothing. He's not been baptized. He's not joined a church. He's not walked an aisle. He's not even, he couldn't bend his knees if he wants to. They're nailed. All he has done is call upon the name of the Lord in his desperate moment. And that saves him. It's inc- it's, 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 we, we, we tack all this stuff on as though it's precursors to salvation, as though they're the classes you have to take before you can become a Christian. Whereas the truth is, the apostle, as the Apostle Paul says, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what we're called to. Now, those of us who aren't who have the privilege of not dying a few hours after our conversion, like he did? He was dead in a few hours. But for the rest of us, we then get to live out those passages we looked at earlier. We get to be a city on a hill, we get to be a light in a dark place. That's who we are. It's not something we're becoming, it's an identity that is bestowed upon us. You are a city. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a light. Now, don't do something stupid like put your light under a basket. No one does that. That's moronic. That's why Jesus is so mystified by it. Hey, you're a light. Why are you under a basket? No one does that. You put put it on a stand. Be be someone who, who shows others a lighthouse. They can see the light, especially in our own family, so that they should see it. We get that opportunity. We get to be cities on a hill. That when people are desperate and they need a place to stop and rest and find comfort and care and truth, those are not in contradiction with each other, they can find it with us. By the way, the account right after this one is the one we call the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler who denies this invitation, who turns away from this invitation. We don't know how his story ended, but we know that in that Jesus offers this to him. But the price is too steep for him, so he walks away. He was welcome. The kids memorized a verse this, this weekend Psalm 13, 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So for us, for our v, end of our VBS experience here, the question is what are you trusting in for your salvation? The reason we do an invitation Sunday after Sunday is not just out of tradition or because it's cute or anything like that. It's because the assumption is something that you've heard taught through God's word. Hopefully the spirit has illuminated that in your life today. That something has, so that you would recognize I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I don't know that I'm all that hospitable. I don't know that I'm being a welcoming person, a welcoming place for people to experience the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know that I'm really a light or I've kept my light hidden. I don't know that I'm living out the truth that I am a light. If you're following Jesus. If you're a Christian. But for many of you, maybe you've realized I've never put my faith in Christ at all. I've never said I, I accept that. I've never prayed. So it, his words are as good as any. Remember me in your kingdom. Whatever that is that have that right relationship With Jesus Christ, we would love to pray that with you. So as we as we're going to close out our time here, if you would, I hope that the Spirit is working in you to however you need to respond. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, you would do that. And if and if you're if you say I have, but I'm not really shining out like I should, I've kept my light under a basket. That needs to be a repentance. We need to turn from that. Um, Maybe you would say, "Um, I need I need a body of believers to live out faith with. I need a city on a hill to join with others, and I'd like to be a part of that. If you've, if you've talked to somebody already, if you've talked to some of our members and other things, and you're ready to join, that would be great. Um, that's, that's another option during invitation. But mainly, what we're asking and encouraging you to do is to listen to what God is speaking to you, how he is speaking to you today, and how that's going to impact your life when you leave here, not just here. So stand, if you will, and let's, and let's pray. And then you'll have the opportunity to sing and respond um, however the Spirit leads you. Lord, thank you for um, these men and women who have served this weekend in mighty ways that these kids have gotten to see and hear and, and experience your gospel through these men and women um, who, have, who have poured out this weekend shepherding these kids toward a life that would honor you and that would serve you, a life of ministry and service and leadership in your kingdom. So God I thank you for that and I pray that you would call us if, if there are any who are believers but aren't serving in your kingdom I pray that today would be when that begins to change for them And God for anybody here who does not know you who has not accepted the free gift of salvation from your son so that they know that they would spend forever with you in paradise. God I pray that today would be the day your spirit prompts them to accept that free gift. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.